0: Thank you, choir. Over the last uh, six weeks or so, really for the better part of of the fall, we have been walking through the book of Nehemiah, and after taking a break last week, we've reached what's essentially the the middle point of the story. It's appropriate for the, the season that we are in today because to a degree, with all that has happened over the last 18 months, two years or, or, or so, we are in a similar place. Trying to figure out who we are. Kind of trying to hone in on, on what we, we really believe. What we truly value. We took a break in the series last week, so just to catch us up a little bit, Nehemiah was, was written about 450 years before Jesus' birth, right as the Israelites returned from, from exile and they were beginning to rebuild Jerusalem, and, and more importantly, beginning to rebuild their identity. This was who they were. Nehemiah is working for the Persian king and he hears that his people are struggling that they're struggling as they are rebuilding and he asked for permission to go and, and help them. After receiving the king's blessing, he he returns to Jerusalem, and the first thing that he does is he, he surveys the land. He he looks around and he sees how much uh, damage there is, and he, he kind of begins to organize people. And he puts together 42 different groups to rebuild 41 different sections of the wall. And it's important that we remember that the work was done by all kinds of people. Women and men, nobles and clergy, uh, business people, nearly everyone pitched in in some capacity to help. And then as Nehemiah becomes governor, he realized that in in addition to the external threats that existed, the threats outside the walls, that there were some internal threats as well, some internal uh, issues that they had to deal with. So Nehemiah called for change. Neighboring nations, they noticed that progress was being made, that changes were being made, and as a people, that they were were kind of rising up, that they were were getting stronger and stronger. And so they tried to come up with a a scheme to derail the progress. Then, starting at chapter 6, verse 16, we read this. When our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ariah, And his son, Jehonan, had married a daughter of Mishalim, son of Bar- Barakiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me this good, his good deeds and then telling him, what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, The gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some as their posts and some near their own houses. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were very few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I spent the last, uh, or a few days this last week on a cycling trip, a mountain biking trip with three of my, my best friends in, in Sedona, in Arizona. This trip was one of those things that we, we planned years ago, two years ago, and one of the things that got postponed because of the pandemic, like many of your plans did as well. And, and we were excited to finally be able to make it happen, even if I was by far the least skilled cyclist in the group. I'm used to riding on roads and not trails. I guess you could call them trails. But they assured me that I would be fine and that any sort of difficulty that I might might face on the trails would be negated by the beauty of all that was around us. And, and the truth was, it was absolutely beautiful. So they were, they were right. Leading up to the trip, I, I wasn't really all that nervous. I, I didn't really feel much pressure at all. I, I was just excited that we could finally go on this trip that we've been planning for years and years. Then on the the drive out to Arizona early on on Wednesday morning, I had gotten about 20 miles from my house and I saw this on my dashboard. And I thought, oh no, really? A a small light that triggered all kinds of thoughts in my mind about all of the things that could go wrong on the rest of the trip. Maybe you've seen something similar on on your car. The, The dreaded tire pressure monitoring system light. It was early in the morning, so it was pretty cold out. I, I figured that I'd I just keep going and nothing would go wrong, and I just kept driving. By the time I got to Pasadena, the light was actually, it had gone out, so, so, so it worked. The light had gone out, but my mind kept racing. I had about seven more hours of driving ahead of me. That's a lot of time to think about what might go wrong now whether it's a a light on our dashboard a a feeling in your chest or in your gut maybe a a word that you hear we all have those different kind of trigger points that, that help us to think oh something is up something is going on where we begin to feel pressure and that pressure it comes from everywhere Pressure to perform at school or, or at work. Pressure to please others, maybe a family member or a friend. Pressure to be someone or something that we are not. Pressure that we, we place on ourselves. Th- those moments we repeat, we repeat phrases over and over again in our minds that we would never say to another person, but for some reason we're unkind to ourselves and we have no problem repeating them to ourselves. I imagine that Nehemiah felt a lot of those types of pressures as he began this process, as he walked through this process of rebuilding the walls, of really rebuilding his people. And and, and this part of his story, it reminds us that that we can walk through the pressures that we, we face today by learning to trust God and cling to truth. It sounds really, really really simple one of those lines that we might grasp in concept when everything's going well when everything's clicking we might say yeah that makes sense but that's easier said than done something we we easily forget when we're under pressure so first nehemiah he he reminds us to stay focused now, there are all kinds of lessons I learned on my, my mountain biking trip from my, my mountain biking buddies. And the most importantly is, is probably that you, what you want to pay attention to while you're on the trail. You're supposed to focus on where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. And the moment that you look to the place where you don't want to go, you go there. It's, 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 not, it's not a good thing. So I asked, okay, that, that makes sense. How far ahead should I look? And they said, well, it depends how fast you're going and how technical the, the trail is. Now, I'm happy to report I only had a few minor crashes where I looked the wrong, the wrong direction. Um, but it was because I was looking in the wrong place. In Nehemiah's adversaries, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they do their best to draw Nehemiah's attention from, from what he was supposed to focus on. They try to get him to focus on a battle that didn't really exist. He doesn't take the bait. Even if the threat was real, he doesn't take the bait. Instead, he says, look, I have a big job right in front of me, and I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to put my attention there. This is going to be my priority. Now, outside of being politicians or or governors of of neighboring cities, we don't know all that much about these three people that that Nehemiah mentions. We know that they tormented him, that that, that they were continually tormenting him as they rebuilt the wall. And here they send four letters, four four letters aiming to, to distract him. I'd like to think that Nehemiah, the way that he responds to them, is the same way that he would respond to anyone who's trying to draw his focus away from what he was supposed to be focusing on. But he kept the main thing, the the main thing. He focused on what really mattered. The question, or really the warning for us, has to do with our priorities and our distractions. Like Nehemiah, if we want to thrive under pressure, we need to learn to say no to those, those places that are trying to pull us away, that are trying to pull our, our focus or our attention away from what God has placed in front of us. So what's distracting you? What is taking your attention away from the things or the people who are, are most important in your lives? It's so easy to get derailed, to be thrown from the path that we've been called to follow. And Nehemiah first reminds us to to stay focused, and then he he also reminds us to cling to truth. A fifth letter comes to Nehemiah. It's an open letter of sorts, like a a letter to the editor in the newspaper or or something that someone writes on social media, maybe on the Nextdoor app, so everybody can see it. He says, hey, he puts Nehemiah on blast so everybody can see it. Went out to all of Jerusalem, all of Samaria. And he says, hey, this, this is happening. And it is full of lies. It is full of lies. Sanballat writes that Nehemiah is aiming to become king of Judah. That, that he's trying to raise up a people who will lead a rebellion. Sanballat's entire goal is to stir the pot is to, to to kind of sow division. And, and Nehemiah responds essentially saying that, that none of Sanballat's accusations are, are remotely even close to true. He doesn't take the bait. He, he doesn't take a shot at Sandballot either. He simply states the truth. That's not true. That's not what's happening here. Oh. <sighs> It's a leadership quality that we are in desperate need of in today's world. That's not true. He doesn't say that's not true and then trash Sanballat. He just says, you know what? That's not true. And he lets it be. Just this last week, uh, some of you may have seen, I guess it was a little more than a week ago, an NFL coach was fired for, for terribly racist and misogynistic comments that he wrote in an email 10 years ago. His response to, to being fired was lackluster and didn't really show much growth at, at all. But in my mind, the, the worst part of the whole ordeal was the back and forth between the different athletes who he coached or, or the ESPN, I shouldn't have said ESPN, the, the, the network reports that he also used to be employed by and how they were throwing the team under the bus that employed him, but he was also employed by the, the sports network. There was a whole lot of hearsay going back and forth. A whole lot of hearsay going back and forth, some of which defended him, some of which attacked him. Nobody knows what the truth is because nobody ever said, hey, here's the truth. This is what happened. They just threw stuff back and forth at one another. In the face of adversity, under all kinds of pressure, Nehemiah, he just states the truth. I'm trying to rebuild, restore and reform a city. I'm trying to remind my people of who they are and what God has for them. And that's, that's the next part of clinging to the truth is remembering your identity and, and remembering that God is faithful. Just th- those two things, that, that that is true. The image that I always picture when I think about identity and when I think about God's faithfulness is what we see and hear during Jesus' baptism in, in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus approaches John the Baptist, most of us know this story, in the Jordan River. And the moment that he's lifted out of the water after he's baptized, a voice is heard that says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I know it's, it's easy to kind of think, well, that's Jesus, of course. That's, that, that's Jesus. But we are reminded of that truth every time we baptize somebody in the church today. And, and it's a reminder that we should all claim, all of us who have been baptized should, should claim, we are loved. We have a purpose. God is faithful. That is true. Nehemiah knew who he was and, and who he wasn't. So he points to the accusation and says, look, I'm comfortable with who I am. I know what I'm about. You can take it or leave it, but this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And that's true. And I, I have a responsibility and a role to play with my people, with what God has in front of me. So what does it look like to face our own doubts whether the ones that we we think of ourselves or the ones that we hear from others with that same sort of reply. I know who I am. I I know that I am loved and I know that God has given me a purpose. What does it look like for us to respond to the pressure that we face in the world with those simple things? I know who I am. I, I know that I am loved and I know that God has a purpose for me. This response, it's not conceited, and it it doesn't carry an overt sense of self-importance, but we get the idea that Nehemiah, he's just comfortable in his skin. He knows who he is. He knows his gifting, and he probably knows his limitations as well. It's so easy to fall into the trap of of taking the Apostle Paul's words totally out of context while, while trying to be all things to all people. The jack of all trades, master of none mantra that uh, a lot of us in, uh, in a moment of vulnerability is something that, that gets me into a good amount of trouble. In a lot of, of subjects, both, both around here at, at, at church as well as at home, as well with, with, with my friends and family, I know just enough to, to not be completely lost, but definitely not close to enough to be an expert. Anyone else want to admit that with me? You don't really have to raise your arm. Um, we need to know our strengths. We need to know our limitations. To be honest with ourselves and to be honest with one another, saying, "Here's what I bring to the table," and that's what Nehemiah does. The last part of this section points forward. Nehemiah and his people—they didn't dwell on the distractions. They didn't get caught up in in the rumors all of which could have derailed the, the progress they were making or, or all of which could have forced them to even turn on one another. They moved on to the next chapter. They, they, they continued. They remained focused. So as we move forward, out of this, this season that we are in, into whatever is next, whatever the chapter that's next is, is going to look like, there will continue to be all kinds of pressure for us individually, for us collectively as a church family. There will be plenty to distract us, plenty to compete for our, our attention or to, to pull us apart. And my hope is one of the main lessons we, we learn from this, this story is that as those things arise, and they will, they always have, as they arise that we would remember to trust God and to cling to truth. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes the pressure we feel or the pressure that we experience is is overwhelming. In those moments of stress or, or potential distraction, Lord, remind us of who we are and whose we are. We pray these things in your name. Amen.